well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I'm glad that you've joined us on the program today. Coming up here in a matter of moments, we're going to turn our attention to what's going on down in Georgia. We are oh, just about two weeks away from the uh, special runoff elections there in the state that will determine control of the U.S. Senate. Uh, two Senate seats up for grabs in the state of Georgia on the Republican side. You've got uh, incumbents David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler on the Democrat side, Raphael Warnock and uh, John Ossoff. And I ran across a really interesting story from the left over the weekend, bemoaning lost opportunities for both Warnock and Ossoff in the uh, Georgia campaign. So we're going to get to that in just one second. But before we do, um, I have to thank the Second Amendment Foundation for uh, really a, a, a genuine honor uh, that I received over the weekend. Um Second Amendment Foundation uh, naming me the Journalist of the Year. And uh, I got to tell you, that that came as a genuine surprise and a real shock. Um, as I told the folks at the Second Amendment Foundation, we are blessed in the Second Amendment community to have a number of great journalists who are covering the news, dealing with your right to keep and bear arms, breaking stories each and every day. So I know that the competition is fierce. Uh, but we are also a community. Not only are we, you know, competitors in terms of uh, trying to get those stories out there first, but uh, this is a collaborative effort because we're all working towards that same goal of informing gun owners uh, about what's going on so that our right to keep and bear arms can remain secure. And I, I do consider myself to be a journalist. I also, you know, I'm open and upfront about the fact that I am an advocate. I am a supporter of the Second Amendment. I believe in the right to keep and bear arms. I fight for the right to keep and bear arms. So if that makes me an activist journalist hybrid, I guess so be it. But uh, again, I am very grateful for the recognition and for the honor. So thank you very much to Alan Gottlieb and uh, everyone over at the Second Amendment Foundation for the uh, uh, title of 2020 Journalist of the Year. Now I've got something to look forward to in uh, 2021, too. Get to see if I can, uh, you know, repeat that title. All right, let's talk about what's going on in the state of Georgia. As I mentioned, we're about two weeks away from Election Day. And the American Prospect, which is not the American Spectator. American Spectator is the the conservative website, uh, website slash magazine. The American Prospect uh, is far to the left. But they had a story over the weekend. Democrats in Georgia Senate races neglect rural voters. Mm-hmm. And I thought this was really interesting. Daniel Boguslaw uh, is the author of this piece. He writes in the runoff election for Georgia's two Senate seats, um, there is uh, deep satisfaction that is uh, taking place uh, on the left, apparently. Uh, let me give you a quote here so I don't have to just repeat this. With all eyes on Atlanta and its suburbs, one demographic in Georgia is being left out the rural voters who could swing the election. The map of America's partisan breakdown has emerged as a Rorschach test for political spectators and those on the right. It depicts a country ruled by a minority liberal elite, even in the face of its sprawling red and rural heartland. For liberals who see no issue in a map that glows crimson, but for a shimmer of azure along the coasts, population density tells a different and immutable story. But for rural voters abandoned by the Democratic Party and suffering under the weight of COVID-19, change is the only thing that they could ask for. Now, again, this is written from the left, right? 
So uh, there, 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 there's some obvious bias seeping through there. But the fact remains that Democrats, if you look at the map of this country and how each county voted, it's true. There, there's basically blue strips running along each coast. Uh, there's a sprinkling of blue counties in the uh, midsection of the country. But the vast majority of the landmass is painted red. Now, it's true, the population centers on the east and west coasts, they're, they're part of those deep blue uh, portions of the country. But it's not like no one lives in rural red counties. Um, when I moved from Fairfax, Virginia, D.C. suburbs, I moved to rural Virginia in 2012. I moved from a county with 1.8 million residents to a county with about 18,000. Roughly the same size in terms of, you know, physical landmass, but about one-tenth, uh, no, sorry, about one-one-hundredth of the population from where I left. Um, can Farmville, Virginia provide the votes to, uh, to counteract Fairfax County? No. Any more than, you know, one rural county in Virginia can counteract Cobb County or DeKalb County or any of the uh, counties surrounding the Atlanta area. But we're not just talking about one county. We're talking about, in Virginia, dozens of counties that are full of rural voters. Well, maybe not as full as they are in places like Fairfax County, but they're still full of voters, and there are plenty of votes to be found there. Democrats, as this piece of the prospect points out, have largely abandoned uh, those rural voters, both in Georgia and around the country. As uh, the prospect talks about, there are a couple of strategies at play for Democrats uh, in Georgia right now. Um, primarily, Democrats buying out the airwaves in Atlanta, Savannah, uh, other big urban markets. Outside of the cities, the prospect rise Democrats' gown game is sparse. Warnock has fared better than Ossoff on the rural front, tapping into his grassroots network cultivated through his time as pastor at Atlanta's Ebenezer Baptist Church. Meanwhile, Ossoff, they write, has relied on at least uh, has relied on a last minute bus tour and that most sacred of political weapons, the yard sign. They write these two tactics were highlighted by Ossoff's campaign, the, the, the bus ride and the yard sign as the cornerstones of his rural outreach strategy. But as one rural organizer in southern Georgia told Prospect, quote, we had to drive all the way to Atlanta just to pick up the yard signs. That's a organizer. We spoke to the prospect on background for fear of reprisal from the Democratic Party said that they were one of multiple rural organizers whom Ossoff personally called over the summer to inform them that rural ad buys and outreach beyond the urban core were not on the table. The uh, organizer said, quote, it's not a part of our strategy. I, 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 you know, so I was going to say I don't get this, but I do get this. I do understand why John Ossoff is not targeting rural voters in Georgia. Because he's not going to win the vast majority of them. Because the platform of the Democratic Party, starting with Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, all the way down to, you know, the majority of county supervisors and local elected officials, is one that is hostile to the right to keep and bear arms. Not one that's apathetic, not one that is agnostic, but one that is actively hostile to our right to keep and bear arms. 
And, you know, look, we've talked about this on the program before. A decade ago in Congress, in, in the House of Representatives, 10 years ago, a quarter of the Democrats who were elected were A-rated by the NRA. 25% of Democrats in the House of Representatives in 2010 were A-rated by the NRA. Do you know how many A-rated Democrats there will be in the House of Representatives when the new session of Congress convenes in January? Zero. Zero A-rated Democrats. The last A-rated Democrat, Colin Peterson, from Minnesota, lost his election in November, ousted by a Republican. Yeah. And Democrats have seen this. You know, there, there, there's, a, there's a reason why there was not a big blue wave on Election Day. And as a matter of fact, the GOP made gains in the House of Representatives. And that's because, again, the agenda of the Democrat Party is far outside of where most rural Americans are. The Democrats are not giving these rural Americans a reason to vote for them. They're giving them a reason to vote against them. Vote for us and we'll go after your guns. Vote for us and we'll restrict your right to keep and bear arms. Vote for us and we'll demonize you and we'll belittle you and we'll condescend to you and we'll claim that you're the problem, even as our prosecutors let violent criminals out of jail on low bond or no bond whatsoever. We're going to blame you for the problem. Why not vote for us? Is that a winning message? <laughs> I mean, I don't think so. But that is the message of the Democratic Party, by and large, right now. So I'm not surprised that uh, the American Prospect is reporting that Democrats are, are, are largely ignoring those rural votes uh, in Georgia. I'm not sure that it would really pay off if they invested a lot of time and money in those rural voters because, again, of the hostility that they have shown towards the right to keep and bear arms. Now, look, having said that, uh, the race in Georgia is going to be really close. I, I don't put a lot of stock in polling. My friend and colleague Ed Morrissey over at Hot Air today had a post that references a couple of Rasmussen polls. I, I just I'm not looking I'm not looking at any polling in the Georgia Senate races. The polling for the 2020 election was too off in too many places for me to have any trust whatsoever in the polling industry right now. And I've seen no indication, by the way, that the polling industry is, uh, I, I think they're cognizant of the problem. I just don't think that they are doing anything about the errors that were on display during the 2020 election cycle. So given that, I'm not putting a lot of stock in these polls. But based on the results on Election Day in November, the fact that neither one of these races uh, had a candidate that got to 50 percent, uh, the amount of money that is being poured into the state on both the left and the right, the fact that these races ultimately will control or will decide who controls the U.S. Senate for the next two years, I think that is going to goose turnout on both sides. In a special election like this, one would typically expect turnout to drop off dramatically from like a presidential election year. I don't think it's going to happen. We're seeing some encouraging signs in Georgia, and Ed talks about this, things that I, I, I think um, are worth talking about as opposed to polling. Looks like in the early voting returns, uh, Republicans have narrowed the advantage that Democrats had on Election Day or, or during the uh, presidential election uh, in Georgia. So that's good news. Republicans are turning out 
Second Amendment supporters have been on the ground. They've been engaged in grassroots activities. Donald Trump Jr. was there over the weekend, uh, also talking a uh, pro-Second Amendment message. So the word is getting out to gun owners in Virginia, or excuse me, in Georgia. Sorry, we have Virginia on the mind here. Uh, word is getting out about gun owners in uh, Georgia, almost said it again, about the importance of this election and why they can't sit this out. And I don't think that they're going to. I think we'll see strong turnout in Georgia. And I am cautiously optimistic, based on what we're seeing here, that uh, we can win both of these seats and we can derail Joe Biden's anti-gun legislative agenda, at least the more extreme versions of it, uh, for at least two years. I, I, I say at least the most extreme versions because Alan Gottlieb and I, you know, we had a conversation a few weeks ago where he said, I, I'm, I'm still concerned. Even if we take back the Senate, I'm concerned that there will be Senators like, I don't know, Pat Toomey, for example, uh, who are willing to, they've already shown us, they're willing to reach across the aisle and work with Democrats on gun control legislation. So we're not going to be entirely out of the woods, uh, even if Republicans take control of the Senate. Now, Mitch McConnell, I'd be very interested to see what Mitch McConnell would allow to get to the floor of the Senate. Um, But I think it's fair to say gun owners, Second Amendment supporters, we're going to be in a much better position if uh, Republicans take these Senate seats as opposed to handing the Senate to Democrats, which is what would happen if John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock won. The uh, Senate would be split 50-50, and uh, Kamala Harris, uh, presuming that she and Joe Biden are sworn in, she would be the president of the Senate. It's one of the titles of the uh, office of the vice president. And so any tie-breaking vote in that 50-50 chamber, Kamala Harris would cast the tie-breaking vote. Yeah. And that's where things start to get a little squirrely. That's when things start to get dangerous. Folks like Joe Manchin have already said, oh, listen, I'm not going to be interested in uh, repealing the filibuster or doing anything that would allow, you know, legislation to pass by 51 votes. Okay. Okay. That's what he says. And I have no reason not to believe him other than the fact that he's a politician. And uh, I take everything that every politician says with at least one grain of salt. And you never know what arms can be twisted. You never know what promises can be dangled. Uh, If Democrats have the opportunity again to have complete control of Congress, but all they've got to do is nuke the filibuster. Yeah, there's going to be enormous pressure applied to senators like Manchin to go along and do that. So I think it's better to remove that temptation and remove that uh, prospect from uh, even being a possibility. And again, the way to do that is to turn out, early voting has already begun in the state of Georgia, uh, but to turn out, cast your vote between now and January the 5th so we can ensure that the uh, Senate stays in hands that will at least respect our right to keep and bear arms instead of trying to minimize them, limit them, or curtail them completely. All right, let's turn our attention now to our good deed of the day. Our uh, armed citizen story and our recidivist report will start there with a story out of the Quad Cities area of Iowa, East Moline, Illinois, specifically. And the uh, Quad City Times reporting that two people have been charged in the Friday stabbing death of a 64-year-old East Moline man. Carrie Clark, 60 years of age, 21-year-old Precious Sims. Both charged in Rock Island County Circuit Court, one county to first-degree murder and in possession of a stolen vehicle. Uh, Clark and Sims being held late Friday in the Scott County Jail. Bond set at $1.5 million each. They are awaiting uh, extradition to the state of Illinois, according to local authorities. 
And as it turns out, Kerry Clark, the uh, 60-year-old suspect in this case, has a lengthy criminal history. Just in Rock Island County, according to the Rock Island County Circuit Court uh, Electronic Records, he was sentenced to the Illinois Department of Corrections seven different times between 1991 and 2009. In 1991, Clark was sentenced to three years in prison for theft. By 1993, he was out and sentenced to five years in prison for aggravated criminal sexual abuse of a victim younger than 13. That's a pretty serious crime. I'm, I'm kind of shocked he only got two years more than he did for, th- for theft. But by 1999, he was out again and sentenced to three years in prison for retail theft. The following year, he's back out in the streets and is sentenced to prison seven-year prison sentence for robbery. By 2005, five years into that seven-year prison sentence, Clark's already back out again. Yeah. Sentenced to two years in prison for aggravated battery. The following year, 2006, sentenced to two years in prison in a drug case. 2009, Clark was sentenced to 12 years in prison for burglary. Here we are 11 years later. Clark's already back out on the streets and now accused of first-degree murder. Meanwhile, 21-year-old Precious Sims has uh, cases pending in Rock Island Circuit Court for misdemeanor criminal damage to property as well as trespassing. Not nearly the uh, laundry list of crimes, including violent crimes, that uh, Sims' alleged accomplice uh, has on his record. So, uh, Kerry Clark there in uh, Rock Island County, today's subject of our recidivist report. Our armed citizen story from Kentucky where an attempted robbery at a bait shop ended up with one person dead over the weekend. This was in London, Kentucky, Laurel County. According to the Laurel County Sheriff's Office, it was about uh, 7 o'clock Saturday morning when they got word of an attempted robbery there at the uh, bait bucket store. Deputies were told that 32-year-old Jacob Van entered the store saying he wanted money, implied that he had a gun, or at least a weapon. Uh, An employee fired a gun at Van, when he allegedly assaulted another employee, Van was killed by that uh, gunfire. A third employee uh, was accidentally injured during the uh, incident. She was treated at the scene, taken to a uh, UK medical center in Lexington. The uh, sheriff's office investigating the incident, but right now it would appear to be a, a pretty clear cut case of self-defense. We'll keep our eyes out for any new information uh, on this uh, attempted robbery there in uh, rural Kentucky. You know, and again, getting back to the idea of rural America. How long did it take, you think, for police to get to the bait shop there in Laurel County? Probably a lot longer than like five or six minutes, right? And yet, politicians like John Ossoff, Raphael Warnock, dismiss the idea that anybody would ever need to carry a gun for self-defense. I just call the police. Raphael Warnock has mocked and ridiculed the idea of carrying in a church, even though we know that armed parishioners have saved lives. Again, these anti-gun Democrats just cannot believe, cannot allow themselves to believe that the right to keep and bear arms is a positive good. They cannot believe that it saves lives. They cannot believe that it is a right that Americans choose to uh, exercise on a regular basis. And again, they want to do everything they can to try to stop that from happening. All right. Finally, today we have our good deed of the day. Comes to us from a KHQA TV story out of the... uh, Beardstown, Illinois area. I got to visit Beardstown at some point. I wonder if they have a beard festival. Well, I'll tell you what, if I'm ever there, 
Hopefully I'll get there at some point. I'm going to shake the hand of Deputy Alec Bunfill. Uh, he, on December 14th, driving through Beardstown when he got a call that a baby was drowning in a bathtub. This is a, a very blurry image from the uh, deputy's body cam. When the uh, deputy got the call, he said, you know, it's just one of those things that you, 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 when you hear it, you get an adrenaline jump. You just don't think you, you act. Uh, the parents said that they left their baby girl unattended for just a few seconds. And when they came back, she was face down, drowning in the tub. When uh, Alex Bunfield arrived, he uh, jumped right into action. He said, where's the kid at? That's when the grandmother brought her from the bathroom, uh, wrapped in a towel. Breathing was not normal. He said, I could hear gurgling in her airway, so I knew that it was water there in her airway. Uh, Alex Bunfield, formerly an EMT, before he uh, became a sheriff's deputy, he said he knew he had enough training to help save the baby until paramedics arrived. He says, I took the kid from the grandmother, put her face down on an angel, and started patting her on the back. She was able to cough up some water, breathe air halfway through then. After about 30 seconds, he said, baby is breathing normally. Uh, but he said he knew he did not have much more time than that. He said the breathing was not adequate to sustain life at that time. Uh, but he was able to keep the baby breathing until paramedics arrived. The uh, family said so they were in disbelief. He said, I think they were surprised that the outcome was as good as it was. Um, Deputy Bunfield says, you know, the situation could have been avoided. Indeed, uh, you know, I, I don't know how many new parents we have who might be watching right now, but it really does not take long at all. Uh, as the family said, just seconds that the child was left unattended. When you're dealing with a, an infant, even a small amount of water, it's not a, a big tub. You fill it up maybe so that they're, as they're sitting there, it's only up to their ankles, maybe up to their knees. Just again, just a small amount of water for a small child. And that can be enough to take a life. So I am truly grateful that uh, Deputy Alec Bunfill was uh, in the right place at the right time, willing and able to save the life of a nine-month-old child there in the days before Christmas. We thank you, Deputy, for your very, very good deed. Now, that is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program as well. We'll be back tomorrow. We do have more Second Amendment news and information for you. We're going to do uh, shows Tuesday and Wednesday of this week before we uh, take a couple of days off for the Christmas holidays. Also, if you like getting up early, I don't know how many people like doing that, but if you like getting up early, I am filling in on WMAL's morning show, uh, Mornings on the Mall in Washington, D.C., Tuesday and Wednesday of this week, filled in uh, Monday as well, but I forgot to tell you about it. Uh, so you can uh, tune in, WMAL.com. And uh, yes, we are talking Second Amendment news and information there on Mornings on the Mall. I'm doing what I can to get the word out about some of the big stories we've been covering here at Bearing Arms. And don't forget, you can uh, always find more Second Amendment news and information at BearingArms.com, updated throughout the day. Have a great rest of your Monday. We'll see you back here tomorrow with another edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. Don't forget, you can find us on uh, YouTube. Just look for Town Hall Media on Rumble.com. Look for Bearing Arms Cam and Company. Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher as well. We'll see you soon, but until then, be well. Be safe and be free.